0: Welcome to the podcast of Selmore Baptist Church in Ozark, Missouri. To learn more about our church, please visit selmorebaptist.com. And now, here's the sermon. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Hebrews. We're going to be in chapter 6, verses 13 through 20. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 20. And praise God that the anchor holds. Amen. It always holds. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you to our praise team for leading us and singing this morning. Back in March, as some of you know, our, our family took a trip to the Gulf Coast. We went to uh, Orange Beach, Alabama, to be exact. And on that trip, we decided that we were going to do what they called a dolphin cruise. And basically, a dolphin cruise... It's not as exciting as it sounds. You don't get to cruise on dolphins. I was a little disappointed, but you get on a little boat with 10 to 15 other people and you cruise circles around the bay until you see dolphins. And then everyone oohs and ahs and takes pictures of the dolphins. Well, uh, we saw dolphins in the first five minutes and thought, wow, this is gonna be a great cruise. Never saw another dolphin the whole rest of the time. But the most interesting thing that happened on that cruise is that our boat ran out of gas. Quite a distance out in the bay, which really was more of an inconvenience than any kind of danger, but that little boat just began bobbing up and down on those waves. And fortunately, Rachel, I I believe, had given the kids some dramamine before we left, which was a good call. Um, Unfortunately for us, it was an unseasonably cool day, and there was lots of wind, and so the water was rough, and it was very cold, and it was splashing on us, and we were soaking wet. And with the engines cut, our little boat just bobbed up and down in those waves. And let me tell you, that is a very helpless feeling. And after several minutes of that drifting and bobbing, finally another boat came by and hooked up to us and began towing us back to shore. And in that process, somehow our captain got our boat started again on fumes, I suppose, and we finally made it back to the dock. But what I kept thinking was, man, I am so glad we're not actually out there on that gulf. Because the waves out there would have been 10 times worse than the waves in that bay. And who knows where we would have ended up drifting out there on open water. But the reason I share that story is that life can be very much like a raging sea. And we are in our little boat just trying to make it to shore. And the wind is blowing and the waves are crashing. And sometimes we just feel completely out of control. We feel completely at the mercy of the elements. Has anyone ever been there? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Well, our text today reminds us that in those times, if we are a child of God, that we are not at the mercy of the storm. We are not at the mercy of the wind and waves because we do have an anchor that holds. And that anchor has a name and his name is Jesus. And when we put our place, excuse me, when we place our hope in him, we have an anchor for our soul that will hold through any storm. And that is the big idea of today's sermon. But let's start at the beginning by reading our text and then we'll begin to explain it and apply it. This morning, we are going to read the entire passage up front. And so we do this from time to time, but in honor of God's word, would you please stand with me as we read our text today Hebrews chapter six, verses 13 through 20. It says, "'For when God made a promise to Abraham, "'because he could swear by no one greater, "'he swore by himself, "'saying, surely blessing I will bless you, "'and multiplying I will multiply you. "'And so after he had patiently endured, "'he obtained the promise. "'For men indeed swear by the greater, "'and an oath for confirmation is for them "'an end of all dispute.'" Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Would you bow with me, please? Father, we ask now that you would add your anointing, your blessing to the reading and teaching of your word. And It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. And these verses that we just read, we're gonna identify four truths that hopefully will encourage us and strengthen us in our faith. Are you guys ready for some encouragement this morning? Does that sound good? All right, let's get started. We're gonna get right into it. Truth number one that we see in this text is that God's promises are unchanging. God's promises are unchanging. Now, last week where we left off in verse 12, Our text said that we're to imitate those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. In other words, one thing that's helpful for us as we serve the Lord is to imitate godly people. Now, that could be people that we go to church with, or it could be heroes of the faith that we read about in the Bible. One such example from the Old Testament of a faithful and patient person who inherited the promises of God is Abraham. We see him referenced there in verse 13. If you remember, Abraham and his wife Sarah were unable to have children, yet God promised Abraham a son. And God told Abraham that through his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Verse 14 in our text today quotes God's words to Abraham in Genesis 22 saying, surely blessing I will bless you, And multiplying, I will multiply you. Indeed, God promised Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand in the sea. That's quite a promise. And it took a long time, but God was faithful to his word. And in due time, Abraham and Sarah had a son named Isaac, who in turn had a son named Jacob who in turn became the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, one of which was the tribe of Judah, through which Jesus the Messiah came into the world. In this way, God's promise to Abraham to bless all the nations of the earth through his seed was perfectly fulfilled. But this passage in Hebrews 6 also points out something fascinating about God's promise or oath to Abraham And that is in whose name the promise was made. You know, when we as humans make a promise or take an oath, we always do it in a name that is greater than our own. We appeal to a higher authority. Oftentimes we appeal to God himself when we take an oath. Why do we do that? Well, the assumption is that we fear and respect God too much to make a vow in his holy name and then not keep it. That's why verse 16 says that this practice of making such an oath is an end of all dispute, is what it says. In theory, when one vows something in God's name, that settles it. It's confirmed. There's no doubt. There's no question. That's why we see this practice still commonplace in society today. When a witness takes a stand in the courtroom, she vows to tell the truth and nothing but the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help her God. When a president takes the oath of office, he vows to preserve and protect and defend the Constitution of the United States, so help him God. Now, I should add here that the Bible does warn us against taking oaths flippantly. Uh, Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. We should not be throwing around phrases in casual conversations such as, I swear to God or I swear on the Bible. Those kinds of declarations are irreverent and they are unnecessary. Nevertheless, particularly in the Old Testament, vows appealing to a higher authority were commonplace and they were binding. But here's the thing, and here's the author's point. When you're almighty God and you're making a vow to one of your creatures, such as God made a vow to Abraham, who do you swear by? To whose authority do you appeal? There is no authority higher than God. Amen? And so as verse 13 tells us, when God made this promise, this promise of a son to Abraham, he swore by himself. (laughs) He is the gold standard. Now, if another person swears to do something based solely on their own reputation and integrity, well, maybe that means something and maybe it doesn't. It depends on the person. But when God swears something by himself, he is the highest possible authority and standard. And when God swears something by himself, it will come to pass. This is what verse 17 means when it says that God determined to show his heirs his children, the immutability of his counsel. Now that word immutability just simply means that something is unchanging. When God makes a promise to his children, particularly by his own name, that promise is immutable. It is unchanging. You can take it to the bank because verse 18 adds that it is impossible for God to lie. Sometimes men go back on their promises. We know this. But God never does. So when God told Abraham that he would give him a son, it was going to happen. Nothing was going to stop it. Not even Abraham's own foolishness, if you're familiar with the story. Likewise, when God gives us promises in his word, you can rest assured that he will keep his promises. For instance, when God promises to never leave us nor forsake us, we can take him at his word. When God promises that all things work for good for those who love him and are the called according to his purpose, we can take him at his word. When God promises that his peace, which passes all understanding, will guard our heart and mind in Christ Jesus, we can take him at his word. When God promises that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can take him at his word. And when God promises that he has prepared a place for us and will one day take us there to be with him, we can take him at his word. His promises are immutable. They are unchanging. Dear Christian, take comfort in that this morning. Now, truth number two is this. That we see in this text. God wants his people to have confidence in his promises and consolation in our trials. Because God's promises are immutable and unchanging, we can have confidence that they will come to pass. And again, God wants us to have confidence in him. This is what verse 17 means when it says that God determined to show more abundantly to the heirs of his promise the immutability of his counsel. He did this technically by two immutable things. According to verse 18, his promise backed up by his oath. But the point is that our heavenly father wants us to know that we can trust him. He wants us to know that we can count on him. Now, we're the same way with our children, are we not? I remember a handful of times with my kids, Uh, trying to teach them how to swim and you and I didn't do a very good job because they end up having to get swim lessons so take that for what it's worth but you take them out in chest deep water and you put your arms under their belly right and you're you're like kick your legs move your arms and they're like you're gonna drop me I'm gonna sink and they freak out a little bit what do you say as a parent trust me I've got you, I'm not going to let anything happen to you, I promise. As a parent, we want our children to know that they can trust us, that when we make them a promise, that they can have confidence in that. And our heavenly father is the same way with us. We can trust him with our life. We can trust him with our family. We can trust him with our needs. We can trust him with our very soul. Not only does God want us to have confidence in his promises, but verse 18 says, it is God's desire that his promises might bring us strong consolation. We not only need the promises of God in those times when we're anxious and unsure, but we need to feel his consoling presence in the trials of life, particularly in those times when our hearts are broken. For instance, when we're grieving, When we're sad, it comforts us to know that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and that he saves the crushed in spirit. It gives us peace to know that Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. It keeps us going to know that there's coming a day when Jesus himself will wipe away every tear from our eye. And it reassures us to know that my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, and he is my portion forever. To come back to the analogy of an earthly parent with our own children, no good parent sees their little child fall down and scrape their knee, and I'm talking about a young child, not the child old enough where you say, put some dirt on it and go on, but talking about a little child, No one sees their little child fall down and scrape their knee and sit there and cry and then just stands back and doesn't comfort them. That, as parents, would tear our hearts out, wouldn't it? To see our little baby sitting there crying. No, we go to that child and we scoop them up and we kiss their knee and we tell them, it's gonna be okay. And in like manner, we as Christians are God's children and he wants us to be consoled in our trials. He wants us to know that he loves us and he desires to comfort us. What a wonderful, caring, loving God that we have. This brings us to the third truth we see in this text. And that is, that as the people of God, we find refuge and we find hope in Jesus. Now, I really love verse 18 in this passage because It defines for us who the people of God are. I love this definition. Who are the people to whom God gives his promises? Who are the people to whom God gives confidence and consolation? The answer in verse 18 is those who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. In other words, all of those who flee to Jesus for refuge, all of those who look to Jesus for hope, are the people of God. I love that. Now, how do we flee to Jesus? How do we lay hold of that hope? Well, we repent of our sin and we believe upon Jesus for our salvation. The Bible teaches that if we will admit we're a sinner and believe that Jesus died for us and rose again and genuinely turn from our sin and commit our life to him, that he will save us. And he will make us his child and he will give us eternal life. But we must find our refuge and hope in him. We can't and won't find it anywhere else. If we flee to the world when things get tough, if we seek our refuge in the things of the world, whether it be food or drink or drugs or sex, or porn, or work, or sports, or anything else that you want to fill the blank in with, those things may make us feel good for a while, but ultimately they will leave us empty and they will leave us void and even more hopeless than when we started. When we seek refuge in things other than God, when we place our hope in things other than God, there's a term for that. It's called idolatry. And an idol doesn't have to be some golden image from the Old Testament. An idol can literally be anything that we elevate to the place of God in our life. And here's the tricky part. An idol doesn't have to be an inherently sinful thing. In fact, oftentimes an idol is a good thing that we elevate into a God thing. For instance, a spouse is a wonderful thing. But if we find our ultimate refuge in our spouse instead of in God, we make them into an idol. Children are a wonderful blessing of God, but if we elevate our children to a higher priority in our life than God, we can even make our own kids into little idols as followers of Christ. We must flee to Jesus for refuge. We must look to him for our hope and not the things of the world. Dear Christian, you can love your idols, but as I heard someone say just this week, your idols will not love you back. Find your refuge and find your hope in Jesus. That brings us to our our final truth and encouragement for the day. And really, this is the linchpin of today's sermon. Truth number four is this hope in Jesus is the anchor of the soul. And it is the key to the presence of God. Verse 19 says that the hope we have in Jesus is the anchor of the soul, sure and steadfast. As we said at the beginning, this world is a raging sea. The wind and the waves of this life will take us any number of directions if we don't have an anchor. And ultimately, without that anchor, we will experience shipwreck. Shipwreck. And we will experience disaster. And here's the deal. Nothing in this world can provide the anchor that we need. And if we look to the things of this world to be the anchor for our soul, we will be sorely disappointed. Money and material possessions cannot be our anchor. They will fail us. Earthly governments and politicians cannot be our anchor. They will definitely fail us. Even family and friends, while they can be a wonderful encouragement and blessing, can't be our anchor. For they are only human. They need their own anchor. (laughs) There will be times when even our family and friends let us down because they're human. And as we all know, our family and friends can be taken from us. Only Jesus can be the anchor of our soul. And what a solid anchor he is. No matter what comes our way in this life, whether it be sickness or rejection or persecution, whatever trial, whatever tribulation comes our way, Jesus will always be there. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He is our rock. He is our anchor. Romans 8 puts it this way. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Dear Christian, please know this morning, God has you. You are anchored in Christ and nothing can ever separate you from him. When the storms of life come and rage against us, the anchor holds. The hope that we have in Jesus, the salvation that we have in him is the anchor of the soul. If you've not put your hope and your faith in Jesus, please do that today. Get that settled before you leave church this very morning. Because life is too hard and eternity is too long not to have the hope of Christ and not to have the hope of heaven. And then the other thing we see in verse 19 is that hope in Jesus is not only the anchor to the soul, it is the key to the presence of God. Verse 19 says that Jesus gives us entrance to the presence of God behind the veil. In fact, it says that he goes in before us. And this is, of course, a reference to the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament. The Holy of Holies, if you're not familiar, was the innermost room of the temple where God literally resided. His presence was literally there. It was separated from the rest of the temple by a sacred veil. Only the high priest could go in to the Holy of Holies and only once per year to make sacrifice for the sins of the people But as you may recall, when Jesus breathed his last on the cross, the veil separating the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, signifying that no longer would man need a human priest to mediate between us and God because now Jesus is our priest. Jesus fills that role. He is the perfect high priest forever as it says in verse 19. In fact, it says that he is the high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, we talked about this mysterious fellow, Melchizedek, this guy from way back in the Old Testament. We talked about him a few weeks ago, and we're gonna talk a lot more about him next week. But for right now, the important thing for us to see is that Jesus is the one who gives us access to the Father. He is our great high priest. There is no other way to God but through him. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. I will ask you again, have you repented of your sin? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? He is the only way to God. The Bible says that all you have to do is call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. This time I'm going to ask the musicians if they would to come and prepare to lead us in a song of response. And as they come, I just want to tell you this morning, if you're here today and you're sick and you're tired and you're beat up and you're scared and you feel like your life is headed for shipwreck, there is an anchor His name is Jesus. He loves you. He will never forsake you. He will never let you down. Come to him in faith and he will save you. If you're here today and you are a Christian, you already have that anchor. But sometimes we need to be reminded of that. So be encouraged today. Christian, Jesus is with you. Some may need to come today and pray and say, Lord, please remind me that you're with me. Remind me that you've got me. Let me feel your peace and your presence today. If you need to come and pray about anything today, the altars will be open. If you have any public decision that you need to make for the Lord, whether it be trusting in Christ as your savior or following him in baptism or joining this church, this is your time to make that known as well. So I'll be here at the front. If you'd like me to pray with you or talk with you about any of those things Please come and take me by the hand, and I'd be happy to do that. Let's stand, and we're going to have our song of response.